And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever tried to witness to somebody who says, Christianity is fine for you, but I'm not into that. I've kind of found my own uh, you know, way of thinking that brings me happiness and joy and satisfaction and, and all these things. But if it works for you, that's great. Well, that is the kind of thinking that is really pervasive in our day. And the question is, how do you counter it? You see, at its root is the notion that spiritual truth is relative and subjective. In other words, it's what you want it to be. As such, the only verification really is, does it work? Does it help you? If it does, then it must be valid. It must be true for you. Perhaps you've wrestled with doubts about your faith. How can science and the Bible be reconciled? Uh, isn't Christianity just based on legends that evolved, um, you know, from Jesus' followers? If the Bible is true, then what about all the people who have never heard about Jesus? How can God condemn them to hell without them not even ever having a chance to believe? And here's, here's probably the kingpin, and, and this is something that man has been wrestling with for eons. How can a good and loving God allow all of the evil and suffering in this world? Now, every one of those things that I just mentioned there that, that may tend you or uh, somebody that you know may, may, may cause them to doubt or cause you to doubt, uh, I can give you biblical instruction as to why those things are so. The problem is, I'm not going to do that in this message, there are many other things that can plague your faith and, and make you wonder. But our text this morning, it provides a necessary foundation that will dissipate our doubts. It will enable us to stand firm in our faith. Now, Luke's account of the resurrection of Jesus teaches us that we must trust in the risen Lord Jesus Christ, who is the foundation of the Christian faith. Let's pray. Father, as we break your word this morning and look into it, we pray that you would uh, give us soft hearts, hearts that would hear, eyes that can see. Um, Father, that we may understand this truth of the resurrection and, and the fact that our faith is, is founded on something that is factual. It's not just some pie in the sky, uh, Lord, that we just hang on to for all, for all we're worth. No, this is really uh, the way that it was. It is truth. So, God, speak that truth into our hearts and may we confirm form our lives to the implications of that truth. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Christian faith is unique to all world religions in that it, was, it is founded on the living person of Jesus Christ, who was raised bodily from the dead. It's not primarily a system of moral or doctrinal beliefs, although we do have definite moral standards and doctrinal truths that we ascribe to. Christianity is founded on the living Lord Jesus Christ, crucified for our sins, risen from the dead, ascended into heaven, and returning soon in power and glory. Now, while we were over on, in Fort Walton, like on day two, Debbie says, we really need to wash the car. So we're, we, I knew where our car, our car wash was there in Shalimar. So we went, it's called Waterworks, W-O-R-X. And they've got, a, they've got a sign up there. It's not a fancy sign, but it's got places where you can put lettering and they have a message. Here's what the message said. This was, this was uh, Christmas Day, actually. 
No, this had to be Sunday. They were they were closed Christmas Day. It must must have been Sunday the next day. Um, I it's all mixed up. Anyway, here's what it said: uh, Born in a manger, died on a cross, alive on the throne. Merry Christmas. <laughs> I was like, man, that is good. Now the other side said his birth fulfilled prophecy. Merry Christmas. And sure enough, when you go into the actual building to pay and to wait or whatever while they work on your car, there's a big rack of Christian books. So whoever owns the stores are Christians and not ashamed of it. Uh, I just thought that was the perfect Christmas message, though. Yeah, he was born, but what did he do? He died. But that's not all. He was raised. It doesn't say anything about the resurrection, but it does say seated, alive and seated on the throne, which is where he's at now, at the Father's right hand. So that was just like a shot in the arm for me to, to, to be there. And look, I actually took a picture of it. I showed it to a class earlier. You see, if Jesus is not risen from the dead, then he himself is a liar. Uh, he predicted his own death and resurrection on numerous occasions. So why believe in, why follow a liar if it didn't come true? Now, if Christ is not risen from the dead, then his death on the cross did not secure our forgiveness of sins. The resurrection was God's seal of approval on the sacrifice that Christ offered for his people. So that Paul could rightly say, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. That's 1 Corinthians 15. In other words, Paul believes in the resurrection. The resurrection, according to Paul in Romans 1.4, declared Jesus to be the Son of God with power. It substantiated that Jesus is the Son of David, the Messiah, of whom David prophesied when he wrote, You will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. Now that's Psalm 16.10, written a thousand years before Jesus ever was born and died and rose again. Peter quotes that saying that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And he quotes it in Acts 2 in the very first sermon that's preached in the New Testament. Well, the resurrection guarantees us that Jesus conquered sin, death, and hell, and that he will make good on all of his promises to come again and to take us to be with him in heaven for all eternity. Now, a dead man couldn't do that, but the risen Savior can. In fact, a dead Savior is no Savior at all. So everything in Christianity rests on the historical fact that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. One commentator writes, Without the resurrection, Christianity is just another human approach to reach God. It is emptied of transforming power and hope. It is a mere shell, not worthy the energy one devotes to it. To believe in Christ is to believe not merely in His example, but in the power of His resurrection to grant new life. End quote. It dawned on me in the first service that, yeah, there is power in the resurrection. And nobody, nobody spoke up, but if you know where it's at, find it for me, where it says that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that saves us. Paul says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, but we are made alive together in Christ Jesus. It's the power of the resurrection that raises us spiritually from the dead. So it is no small matter. Well, yeah, our faith rests on that historical event of Jesus' bodily resurrection, not in subjective experience or just feelings. What is the evidence for uh, Jesus' resurrection? 
if we included the rest of the chapter and uh, you know the rest of the gospels and the book of acts we uh, we could add much more but this 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 morning we'll stick with verses 1 through 12 and we find a number of evidences for the resurrection to begin with a the day of the resurrection the gospel emphasizes that the resurrection occurred on the first day of the week, namely Sunday. You remember, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And on day one, he did this. Day two, three, four, five, six. What did he do on day seven? He rested. That is the Sabbath. That, for the Jew, that's Saturday. So Sunday is the beginning of the, this day one. It's the beginning of the week. Um, the apostles, think about this, they were all steeped in Judaism from, you know, from the time they were born. That's all they knew was worshiping on Saturday. Why would they change the sacred day from Saturday to Sunday? Clearly, it, was, it wasn't a, a strategic planning decision that was made to distinguish between Judaism and Christianity. That's not why they did it. No, they did it to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Sunday became the Lord's Day. We see that several times in the New Testament. That's when the church gathered for worship and for instruction. Now, I realize that in Jewish, Muslim, and Hindu cultures, Sunday is a normal work day. And that makes it difficult for Christians to gather because their culture, that's a work day. But I do believe that we must attach a special significance to gathering on Sunday to worship Him. Now, many progressive churches in America, they offer Friday or Saturday night worship services kind of as alternatives to Sunday morning. And you can perhaps justify Saturday because for the Jews, Saturday was actually the beginning of the work week, the late that evening at sundown. That's when the new day began. But, but personally, I'm not ready to jettison the concept of worshiping on the first day of the week. It's a testimony to the fact that our Lord arose on that day. While it is permissible to celebrate one Sunday a year as a resurrection or Easter Sunday, which we do pretty faithfully every year, although there's no biblical precedent for it, every Sunday ought to be Resurrection Sunday with the Lord's people. That's why we meet on Sunday. We worship to on Sunday to celebrate and proclaim that our Savior is risen from the dead. Well, the second piece of evidence here is the moved stone. Mark 16, 3 records the women discussing on the way to the tomb that morning, who will roll away this stone for us? Because they knew that a big stone had been rolled in front of it. Um, and this would be a large, round stone placed in a groove in the front of the tomb. And it would have taken several strong men to roll that stone out of the groove. Now, the Roman soldiers guarding the tomb would, would not have moved the stone or allowed anybody else to do so. Matthew 28, 2 tells us that it was the angel of the Lord who moved the stone. He didn't need any help. Now, get this. He didn't move the stone so Jesus could get out. Does that make sense? Why did he move the stone? It's so the people could get in and see that he was gone, that he was not there, that he'd been raised from the dead. Years ago, an attorney named Frank Morrison set out to refute the evidence for the resurrection. He appreciated the life of Jesus, but he thought that the early followers had attached the myth of the resurrection onto the story of Jesus. 
But as he examined the facts with his legal background and training, he eventually wrote a best-selling book entitled, Who Moved the Stone?, in which he sets forth very strong evidence for Christ's resurrection, including the moved stone. We'll see, we have the empty tomb. Now, critics have pointed out a number of harmonistic problems uh, with the various gospel accounts of the resurrection. But one thing that they all agree on, for sure, is that the tomb was empty. If the tomb had not been empty, when the apostles began preaching the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, the Jewish leaders, they would have just marched to the tomb, produced the body, and uh, you know, shown up the apostles, and they'd have been laughed out of town. Those who deny the fact of the resurrection... They have several ways to explain the empty tomb, but none of them are very plausible. For example, Jesus' enemies could have stolen the body. But think about it. They had no motive to do so. And they would, they would have produced it to, to just squelch the preaching of the apostles that he had been raised from the dead. And besides, we know that the, the tomb was guarded to prevent any theft of the body well, that leads to a second kind of hypothesis. How about the Roman guards? Maybe they stole it. Neither did they have a, a motive to do so. They didn't care about this Jewish religious trial. If they had stolen the body, they could have sold it to the Jewish leaders for a lot of money because they would have used it to hush up the, 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 the disciples. But that didn't happen. A third one, which is was actually preached in that day or, or, or claimed in that day, uh, the disciples stole the body. Well, as I said, the Jewish leaders tried to promote this theory according to Matthew 27 and 28, but the Roman guards, they would have prevented this. Uh, they would not have risked their lives for a bribe. Uh, and the reason is uh, the penalty for not properly standing your watch was the death penalty. The, the disciples could not have moved the heavy stone and stolen the body without the guards' knowledge and or permission. Besides, the disciples were too depressed, they were confused, they were too fearful to pull off some type of daring grave robbery. And if they had done so, it's kind of inconceivable that they would have boldly preached the resurrection in the face of persecution and even death. The initial thought of the women was that someone had stolen the body. If that had been confirmed in any way, then the apostles would not have preached the resurrection as they later did. Well, D, you have the angelic witness. Luke says that the women encountered two men in dazzling apparel who gently rebuked them for seeking the living one among the dead. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? But then they said, he is not here, but he is risen. And they went on, then, went on to remind the women of Jesus' prediction that he would be crucified by sin, sinful men and rise again on the third day. Now, if there's any you know, question or doubt as to the identity of these men that are in this dazzling apparel, verse 23 affirms that they were in fact angels. And critics, of course, doubt the existence of angels, but they do so because of a naturalistic bias, meaning they don't believe the supernatural exists, so angels cannot exist. But in doing that, they must deny the testimony of several credible witnesses to the actual event. Well, you've got the predictions uh, by Jesus. This is a pretty easy one. On several occasions, Jesus predicted that he would be crucified, that he would uh, be buried, and then rise from the dead. The disciples' minds were 
closed to this. They did not understand it. It was confusing to them. And God may have had something to do with that. We'll talk about that next week, all right, Lord willing. But Jesus, they, they didn't comprehend it when he said it before the cross. But Jesus would have been a liar or greatly mistaken if he had not if he had repeatedly predicted this and it didn't come true. So in other words, the resurrection is uh, its something that, that Jesus spoke of and if it didn't come true, it makes Jesus a liar. So it really casts a, a negative whatever on Jesus' character to say that he would rise if he didn't. But we know that he did. Well, F, you've got the witness of the women. Now, unfortunately, under Jewish law, women were not considered qualified as witnesses. So it's really significant that all the Gospels, that, that they affirm that the, the women who followed Jesus were the first to see the risen Savior. They were obviously not expecting to find an empty tomb and a risen Lord, or they wouldn't have brought the spices to anoint the body. Now, the, the early church would not have invented, have invented this story had, if it weren't true. They would have never had women be the ones to discover Jesus was missing. Uh, at first, the apostles didn't believe the women, but thought that they were speaking nonsense. And that leads to the next evidence, G, the doubting of the apostles. This is a very powerful evidence, the fact that the men who should have believed were first skeptics of these women who testified of Jesus' resurrection. If someone had invented this story on this count as well, they, would have made, they wouldn't have made the apostles look so skeptical and unbelieving. They would have framed the story better. If the apostles had been hoping for the resurrection, perhaps they could be accused of, of being gullible and ready to believe anything. But they ridiculed these women as being out of touch with reality. Peter wanted to check it out for himself, so he runs to the tomb and he sees the linen wrappings. At this point, it says that he went home marveling, but he still did not fully believe. What could have changed these men into bold witnesses willing to suffer persecution and even death if not the fact that they saw the risen Lord Jesus? Well, lastly here, you've got the, the, the linen wrappings. Peter and John saw the linen, linen wrappings lying there, but Jesus' body was not inside of them. Corey mentioned in between services, one of the other Gospels let us know that the, the, the shroud, the part that was on the head alone, it was taken off and folded, needed, uh, neatly folded, neatly folded there at the, at the, at the head, you know, where his head would have been laying. Meaning somebody, you know, somebody did that. The rest of them were just laying there. The rest of the clothes. And if anybody had stolen the body, they wouldn't have waited to unwrap the body and then just leave the stuff laying there. Jesus' body passed through the grave clothes and left them lying there intact. Right. Jesus' resurrection body is pretty interesting. It could be felt. It could be touched. Remember he told, he told Thomas, hey, you know, put your hand, put your fingers in, my, in, in your hand in, in the side where the spear got me. He could eat. He could drink. But he could also pass through closed doors and instantly appear or vanish from sight. But the fact that both Peter and John, who were not expecting a resurrection, the fact that they saw these linen wrappings in the tomb is a strong evidence for Jesus' resurrection. 
As I mentioned a minute ago, our text doesn't mention the rest of what the chapter and the book of Acts also proclaim as further evidence, namely, the numerous appearances of the risen Savior. Paul tells us that as many as 500 people at once saw Jesus alive after He'd been crucified. Well, along with that, you've got the evidence of the apostles' changed lives. There's no way to explain how they were transformed from fearful, depressed, confused men into bold witnesses ready to die for their message, except for the fact of the resurrection. Now, all of this evidence piles up to a, a mountain that cannot be ignored. Jesus was bodily raised from the dead. The British New Testament um, scholar B.F. Westcott said, Taking all the evidence together, it is not too much to say that there is no historic incident better or more variously supported than the resurrection of Christ. Nothing but the antecedent, meaning prior, the prior assumption that it must be false, could have suggested the idea of deficiency in the proof of it. Now that's a very wordy, fancy way of saying they didn't believe in the supernatural, so they said it must be false, right? They didn't even look at the evidence. Their thing was, let's disprove the evidence because it must be false. No one can rise from the dead. And he said, for that reason and that reason only, they see a deficiency in the proof that the Gospels put forth that, yes, Jesus was raised from the dead. So... The Christian faith is not based on subjective feelings or, or personal experience. It's rooted in the objective, historically verifiable fact of Jesus' bodily resurrection. How many of you know the hymn, He Lives? We sing it, you know, typically around Easter. It's about the resurrection, He Lives. I, I kind of cringe at the final line. It says, you ask me how I know He lives. He lives within my heart, right? He lives within my heart. I believe that the risen Lord Jesus does live spiritually within my heart. But that's not the bottom line for how I know that He lives, because that's subjective. That's my feelings. What if I don't feel that Jesus lives in my heart that day? Does that mean that He was not raised from the dead? What if an immoral person or someone on drugs says that Jesus lives in his heart? Does that make it true just because He feels that it's true? No, just like all truth, it's true that Jesus lives because there is solid evidence for it. It's true whether people believe it or whether they disbelieve it. It's true because it happened in history, and it's verified by numerous lines of solid evidence. Now, you may be thinking, if the evidence is so convincing, why don't more people believe it? Well, the answer is quite simple. People refuse to believe in the resurrection because it has moral implications for their lives that they do not want to face. If Jesus is, Jesus is risen, then He is the rightful Lord of all. It means that He's coming to judge all the earth. It means that I must turn from my sin and live under His Lordship. And because people do not want to turn from their sin, they refuse to believe in Jesus in spite of the evidence. The Scripture is clear. Number two here, we must put our trust in the risen Lord Jesus. After writing the miracles uh, of the miracles that Jesus performed, as, as well as the events of the resurrection, John concludes in his gospel, Many other signs, therefore, Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. 
But these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. So how do you have that life? By believing, by faith. It's through faith that our sins are forgiven and we enter into a personal relationship with the living Lord Jesus Christ. There are several things to note about this saving faith. A, while faith is based on the historical fact of the resurrection, it's not strictly intellectual. As I mentioned, there's always a morality involved. We have all sinned against the Holy God. It was your sins that put Jesus on the cross. So faith in Christ is not just a matter of weighing the evidence and making a calm and cool intellectual decision. Saving faith always involves being convicted of your sin and being convinced of your need for a Savior. The evidence corroborates that Jesus is God's anointed Savior. His death was not an accident. It was not plan B. It was plan A. It was part of God's sovereign purpose. And yet those who did it were sinfully responsible. So while faith rests on the facts of history, the resurrection, it also must include repentance for our sins. Well, B, since you can never completely resolve all of your questions, you've got to take a step of faith. Now, notice I didn't say a leap of faith, a step of faith. There are some questions that will not be fully resolved until we are in heaven. We've all got question marks. <laughs> You've got question marks in your head that you don't understand. I've got plenty of them. I've got plenty of questions that I want to ask the Lord about. It's probably going to be revealed to us when we get to heaven. I'm looking forward to that day. So right now, I, t I take a step of faith. But you know what God has given us sufficient evidence of? We have enough evidence to trust in Christ. As John says in 1 John 5, 9, his first letter, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. And as believers, we all know what the witness of God is, don't we? It's centered around His Son, Jesus Christ. God bless Him. We all believe and act on the witness of men every day. How many of you ran a chemical analysis on your breakfast uh, food this morning to make sure that it wasn't poisoned? Don't you trust the drivers to stay on their side of the road and obey the traffic laws? Did any of you do structural calculations on this building to make sure that it wouldn't collapse on you when you walked in here? No, that's all silly, right? Believing the uncertain and fickle ways of men, meaning this roof could collapse, but we trust it won't. We have no excuse for, believing the, for not believing the God who cannot lie. Jesus himself said that if you believe in him, in Jesus, you will have eternal life. But if you do not, you will perish. We'll see our faith grows through various stages. These women and the disciples had all believed in Jesus, but they were all at various stages. Uh, the women obviously loved Jesus, but they didn't yet believe His word that He would rise from the dead because they came there with spices to anoint the body. They didn't expect Him to be risen. Yet when the angel rebuked them and reminded them of Jesus' words to them about Him being raised, they seemed to believe, even though the apostles ridiculed them. The apostles had given up everything to follow Jesus, and yet at that moment, their faith was pretty shaky, wasn't it? 
They openly scoffed at the testimony of these women, not believing that Jesus had been raised. Now Peter, and we, we also know John went with him, and John was younger, and he actually beat him to the, beat him to the, um, the tomb to look. He seemed to be willing to check it out, so they run to the tomb, and sure enough, they see the linen. But he says Peter went home marveling, not believing. <laughs> it would be a while before that would happen. In the next incident... We see the, the two men on the road to Emmaus who, who believed, they were believers it says, but they were slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets had spoken. My point is, they were all at various stages in their faith. We're all at various stages in our faith. Some people, when they come to the Lord, they grow like this. It's just an upward shoot up, and they're quite recognizable, right? Most of us, it's like this. You know, we look back 10 years and go, well, yeah, I, I do look more like Christ than I did 10 years ago. I do act more like Christ than I did 10 years ago. So we're all at these various stages. This story shows us that our merciful Lord is gracious to save us with just a mustard seed of faith. That's just a little bit of faith. And he, he, He's not impatient when our faith wavers. <laughs> he hangs on to us. He knows what we're made of, right? Yet we are responsible to grow in our faith, learning to believe in all that the Bible affirms. But always remember that our faith must be in the living Lord Jesus Christ, not just in doctrines and moral standards. Now, Christianity certainly requires believing in sound doctrine and, and living according to God's moral standards, but it's also much more. It's a personal relationship with the living Lord Jesus Christ. As Paul said, his goal was that I may know Him, meaning Christ, and the power of His resurrection. If your faith is shaky, first check and see if you're clinging to some sin that you don't want to give up. You must repent of it or you'll never have strong faith in Jesus. Next, next study the evidence for Jesus' resurrection for yourself. Go back to the evidence as a sure foundation, even if you can't resolve some issue that is causing you to doubt. Go back to that, that foundation of the resurrection. And finally, cultivate a close personal fellowship with the living Lord Jesus, who gave himself for your sins. Again, to quote Paul, he says, The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. The risen Savior is the foundation of the Christian faith. Make sure that your faith is in Him. Now let's pray. Father, we are grateful again just for Your Word. We thank You so much for the resurrection and all that follows. Uh, the fact that Jesus is seated at Your right hand in power and glory and He interceding for us uh, daily. And God, we thank You so much for that. But Lord, if there's anybody in here that doesn't know Your Son Jesus as Lord and Savior, I pray that You would take the scales off of their eyes that they may see, uh, Father, the, the wax out of their ears that they may hear and the hardness of their heart away that they might understand the truth that yes, Jesus is the Savior and He is a living, risen Savior. Father, do that for us today and we'll give you praise and glory for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you don't know Jesus this morning, the Bible's very clear. It's repentance towards God. Ask God to forgive you of your sins. When you sin, you offend God. And we've all sinned. The Bible's quite clear about that. So you have offended God. It's resulted in separation. So the first thing to do is repent of your sins. 
Ask God to forgive you of those sins. And secondly, trust in Jesus Christ. It's faith in God and, and our um, uh, repentance from God and then faith in Jesus Christ. Trust what He has done on the cross and then in His burial and resurrection, the completion of that gospel story there for our benefit. Trust in Him for your eternity and not in yourself. If you step up with, to God one day with a list of good things that you've done in your life, it's not going to get it. There's only one thing. Jesus said, no man can come unto the Father except through me. He says, I, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Give your heart to him today. If you're a believer, I hope you've been strengthened in your faith, understanding that our faith really is different from world religions. Ours is based on a living, living risen Savior who is in power and glory today. We have a lot to look forward to, but we have a lot to be thankful because of his impact every day in our lives because he is alive. He's continually interceding on our behalf. He's not going to let us ultimately fall. God is gracious. So I hope you've been strengthened today. If somebody asks you, why do you believe the resurrection? Maybe you can give them a few reasons now why you believe that, yes, it's a historical fact. Jesus was risen from the dead. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, CrawfordvilleFBC.com.